Well, welcome to uh, week three of our series, Explore God. I love, uh, I love this series that we've got over 50 churches here in the triangle that are all working together, partnering together, answering the same tough questions that I think a lot of people in our, in our culture and around us are asking about God and asking about Christianity. And today, as you heard, we're gonna talk about uh, the question, is Christianity too narrow? Now, several years ago, uh, I took Laura for her birthday to, uh, to New York City. And while we were in New York City, I, uh, I got tickets to take her to Mamma Mia. Now, I'm not a, I'm not a big Broadway guy. Um, in fact, I'm not even a small Broadway guy, right? I, I, I think I'm happy and, and positive most of the time, but I don't walk around singing all the time. And so I don't understand it fully, but Laura loves it. And therefore I do, right? And that's just, that's just how it works. I learned a long time ago, the two secrets to a very healthy marriage are yes, dear, and I'm sorry, right? And if you can, guys, you use those in any context that you're in and, uh, and it just makes things a lot, a lot better. Now, now to be fair to Laura, right, to defend her, they're, they're in the, the ratio in our marriage of sporting events to musicals that we have attended is about a thousand to one. And so, uh, and so I knew that, right, she's the hero of, of our marriage. And, and I thought this was my one chance to kind of be the, the hero in the story. And so Laura absolutely loves ABBA. I, I, don't, I don't understand it, but, but she loves it. And, and the only way I could kind of compare it would be her, her love for ABBA is the same way that, that Mike dislikes UNC, right? Like that's about the same parallel of, of where, where that exists. And so it's a lot, right? It's, it's a, a big deal. And, and so we went and, uh, and they sang a lot, right? There was a lot of, a lot of singing and, and I went and I put my game face on. I, I absolutely did. I, I listened. I tried my best to, uh, to appreciate uh, what was happening around me. I didn't complain at all. In fact, I didn't even pull my phone out uh, one time, right? And so I was, I was like right in it and, uh, and I was actually surprised. It was shorter than I thought it was going to be. It was just over an hour, felt like six, but, uh, but in reality, just, just over an hour. And next thing I knew, people were standing and clapping and I was was so excited um, that it was done, that I joined in with the clapping very, uh, very enthusiastically. And, and I remember turning and looking at Laura and she looked so happy. And, and I said, did you, did you love it? I'm like, what do you want to do now? And, and she said, well, we could, we could grab something to eat or, or something to drink if you want. She said, there's about 15 minutes left in the intermission. <laughs> the inner what? Right? It's only halftime, right? Like I'm like, and my heart sank because I had used like every motivational technique that I knew in my life to make it through the first half. If I had known there was two, I would have paced myself, right? Like I, and the next thing I knew coming out of my mouth was Mamma Mia, right? Like, which at that point I knew how they named it. I was like, okay, that, that makes a, a lot more sense. I, I think sometimes in life it, it, that happens a lot, right? We don't understand things that other people like or, or other things that, that people do. And when you experience something that's new, when you experience something that's different in your life, it can be hard to connect with it at times. And, and I think there's a, a lot of, of non-Christians that look at Christianity that way. They probably have those same thoughts, right? We all do at different times in life. We all look at other people's things and, and we think, Man, if they just understood my thing, they would see the weirdness of their thing, right? And it would, it would just make a lot more sense to them. And yet our religion, our worldview probably is, is no less weird to them from their perspective looking at it. One of the biggest verses that uh, people who are searching, people who are skeptical, right? One of the biggest verses that they struggle with is, is really based around a statement that Jesus made about himself. And so they ask, why do Christians insist that Jesus is the only way to heaven? Well, the answer is because 
Jesus said that he was the only way to heaven. In fact, he said it in John chapter 14, uh, Thomas, who was one of the disciples, one of his followers, uh, he came up to him and he said, Lord, we don't understand where you're going. And so how can we possibly know the way? And Jesus answered him. He said, I am the way, Thomas, and I am the truth and I am the life. And there no one comes to the father except through me. See, now anyone can make that claim, right? And anyone can. But when Jesus made that claim, he backed it up. He backed it up with a perfect life. He backed it up with miracles that he performed for those who were cynical and, and those who were skeptical of him. And ultimately he paid the price of giving his life that through his death and, and through his resurrection, right? That we could be forgiven, that we could be set free. That, that's what Christianity is based all around. See, in our culture, that may sound crazy. At a minimum, at least is something that's hard to understand. And I think there are a lot of people that are asking questions like, can there really just be one way to God? How about all those other religions? Can they all possibly be wrong? Is it, do Christians really believe that they're the only ones who have figured it out? Isn't that arrogant? Isn't that narrow-minded? Isn't that, isn't that bigoted? And unfortunately, there are people, there are people who use the name Christian, right? And they claim it and they, in fact, they, they live this exclusive attitude, right? They are arrogant. They are narrow-minded. They are condescending. And if you've experienced some of those people, you know what happens is it makes you want to, to recoil even more. Maybe it pushes you to some of the other options that are out there that are more popular in our culture. Maybe it's an option like this, nothingism, right? Which is where you just believe in nothing and hope everything works out in the end. And, and we know people in our lives that are living that way. In fact, there may even be some of us here at all of our campuses this weekend that are living that way. Another option that's even more, power, more, um, more popular than nothingism is the, the position of anythingism. That's the idea that you can believe anything that you want to believe. And if you're sincere about it, well, eventually you'll get to God, right? After all, basically all religions teach the same things, don't they? Finally, there's my wayism, which is the idea that Christianity is my chosen way, but not necessarily everybody else's way, right? You can believe whatever you want to believe, and I'm going to believe what I want to believe, which is that Jesus is the way. In fact, a recent survey of evangelical Christians found that, that most of them subscribe to my wayism. 57% said that they don't believe that Jesus is the only way to God, just a, a really good way to God. See, the Bible, this isn't new. The Bible, in fact, speaks to the narrowness of religion and how to maintain faith in Jesus, even when we live in a culture that doesn't believe. And so what do you do with what Jesus actually said? What do we do with what the Bible says to be true about Christianity? See, if you want to take Jesus seriously, then we have to consider what it is that he said and, and why he said it. When Jesus said, I am the way, and the truth and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through me. He made a very radical statement, and he actually created a, another way, and it's a unique way. See, Jesus didn't come here just to be one more way for us to get to God. Jesus came because he knew that we needed help, that we had dug such a deep hole with our sin in our lives that there was no way that we were gonna crawl out of it on our own, that we couldn't make up for our sinfulness. We couldn't make up our brokenness. We couldn't fix the mess that we had made in our lives. And so God, because he loved us, did something about it. If you have your Bible, I'd love for you to turn with me to Acts chapter 17. 
If you don't have a Bible today with you, that's okay. You can uh, follow along on the side screens. We're gonna put the verses uh, there and so you can uh, track with us there or you can download our app as well that has all of the verses in it and there's a place where you can actually take notes and send it to yourself afterwards. Now, while you're turning to Acts 17, let me just give you a little bit of background and, and kind of set this up and answer two questions for you. The first is this, who wrote this story that we're gonna look at? Well, the answer is a guy by the name of Paul and Paul actually used to hate Christians. Some of you are like, I like this Paul guy already, right? Like, uh, that, that sounds good. In fact, uh, Paul, it says in scripture that he, he persecuted Christians. He used to put them in jail. In fact, there's one story that says that he, he stood there and held the coats of men that picked up rocks and threw them at a guy named Stephen until he was stoned to death, one of the followers of Jesus. Now, hopefully you haven't gone quite, quite that far, right? But to say that, that Paul is skeptical would be a very mild statement. But one day, Paul had an encounter with Jesus. And when Paul met Jesus, everything in his life changed. Now, this wasn't like a face-to-face -face meeting with Jesus. It wasn't like, this was after Jesus' ascension. See, so we know that Paul wasn't hypnotized by Jesus' blue eyes and the lamb that he was carrying over his shoulder, just like in all of the, the pictures that we see in churches all across America, right? It, it wasn't that encounter with Jesus. See, Paul knew everything that Jesus had taught, but he had never met him face-to-face. -face. But one day, Jesus got his attention. And what I found in my life is it's way easier to ask God to show me things in my life that he wants to change than to go living in a way that Jesus has to come and get your attention. But the result is the same, is that his life was radically changed by Jesus. Now, here, here's an observation in, in that. It doesn't seem very narrow to me that, that Jesus who would come and, and care about Paul, this guy that was killing people who were following him. That feels like a very accepting God to me. I'm, I'm just saying. And I think that's a, a God that's available. I know it's a God that's available to you too. See, it doesn't matter how bad you are. It doesn't matter how far away from God you may feel. It doesn't matter what your track record is. Jesus loves you. He cares about you and he wants a relationship with you. And so that's the first question. Paul is the one who wrote it. Now, the second question is, where did it take place? And this story actually takes place in Athens, Greece. Now, I've never been to Athens. I, I tried to tell our elders that I needed to go to do research for this message. Um, instead, they just bought me a book and, uh, and a gift certificate to a Greek restaurant, right? And so that's all, that's all I, I got out of it. But from what I read, Athens was kind of known for its architecture and, and for its art. In fact, in the time period of this story, right, and, and even before the architecture and the art in, in Athens, Greece, it was really um, an expression of a culture that was steeped in idolatry. The name Athens, was, it was named after the goddess Athena. And in fact, in, in Athens, there were, there were temples for all of the different gods of the pantheon. Athens, with its magnificent buildings and its many gods was also known to be something else. It was known to be the, the center of the world in terms of, of culture and philosophy and education. It was a big deal. It was the home of guys by the name of Plato and Socrates and Aristotle, Epicurus and, and Zeno, right? And, but the problem is that this was about 400 years before Paul came to the city. When Paul came, it was just a, a small town, maybe 10,000 residents or so, trying to relive the glory days sitting around as intellectuals and philosophizing about things. And, and that's what we're gonna take a look at in this historical story. And we're gonna make some observations from it that I think are gonna help us understand and answer this question, is Christianity too narrow? Acts chapter 17, beginning at verse 16 says this. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full 
of idols. So Paul's in Athens, right? And he's waiting for some of the other disciples to come and to, to join him there. And while he's waiting, he's walking around. And it says that he's greatly distressed, right? That word can actually also be interpreted as, as angered or, or irritated. Why? Why is Paul so distressed? Why is he feeling this way as he's walking around? Well, he, he sees the idolatry everywhere in the city. See, Mike talked about this in week one. And he made this, this statement, this, this great illustration that God loves you so much, right? That God loves us so much that if I say I love you, but you reject my love, then I'm the one that gets hurt because I've lost something from that relationship. But when God says I love you and you reject his love, he's actually the one that hurts because he knows that you're missing out on something incredible in your life. See, it's completely an unselfish love that God has toward us. And, and I think that's what Paul is feeling here. It's very similar to, to the response that we saw Jesus have when he was standing outside the, the city of Jerusalem in, in Luke chapter 19. It says this, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you had only known on this day, what would bring you peace. But now it's hidden from your eyes. See, Jesus knew that they were going to reject him as the Messiah. And so Jesus stood looking at the city and it says that he wept because they had lost something. They were missing out on the God that loves them and created them. And I think Paul is responding in the exact same way. See, Paul is, is distressed by these people who are looking for God and they're looking all over the place, but where they're looking are, are places that are empty and, and unfulfilling. For them, it was empty religion and, and philosophy. So we do that in our lives too, though, don't we? We look for significance in places that are often empty. Maybe it's in relationships. Maybe as we go from guy to guy or girl to girl, just looking for that quick fix, right? We don't want a commitment. We're not looking for a long-term relationship, just something that'll bring us, bring us happiness in the moment. Maybe it's in the context of family members. We spend so much of our life trying to please them, trying to get their approval. And no matter what we do, there's always something else in our lives that, that, they, that they disapprove of. Maybe it's, it's in, the, in a substance somewhere that you turn to something to try and avoid the pain or the reality of what your, your life is really like. Maybe it's in your finances. You're spending or buying things that are empty just so you can compare yourself to someone else. Maybe so you can brag about the things that you have in your life, or maybe it's just because it feels good for those few minutes that it's new. Maybe it's social media, where we try to present an image of ourselves that we want other people to see and to think is, is who we actually are. Or maybe we just use it as a place to argue with total strangers about our, our political views. See, Paul is moved by the needs of these people. Let me ask you a question. If, if you would call yourself a Christian, right? A, a follower of Jesus, are you greatly distressed by people who are looking for God in empty things and in empty ways? How would you respond to that? Look at what Paul does, verse 17. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happen to be there. See, Paul isn't discouraged by the, the separation of, of church and state, right? He said, that's fine. I'll, I'll talk about Jesus at church. And so he went to the synagogue and he talked with the people there. And he tried to explain to them that, that Jesus is the long awaited Messiah that you've been waiting for. But Paul doesn't stop there. He says, I'm also going to talk about Jesus in the marketplace. 
It says day by day, whoever happened to be there that Paul shows up and, and he has conversations with them. Remember, Paul didn't always believe and follow Jesus. And so Paul knew the needs of people in the marketplace and he cared enough about them that he wanted them to experience the same chance to respond to Jesus that he experienced so that they could experience a radically changed life the exact same way that he did. He wanted them to know a Jesus that gives grace, a Jesus who offers peace, a Jesus who gives them hope. Let me ask you a question. Who do you talk to about Jesus? I don't mean like in an obnoxious way, right? I'm not talking about megaphone guy who's like yelling all the time, like turn or burn, right? Like not, not that guy. Like if you boast, you'll roast, right? Like not, not him. Like if you smoke pot, it's going to get hot, right? Like that, that's not the kind of a person I'm talking about, but someone who simply loves people everywhere you go the exact same way that Jesus did. Verse 18, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? And others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. And they said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. See, the Epicurean philosophers, they were followers of, of Epicurus, right? And, and so they believed that the purpose of living was simply pleasure and happiness, right? Like they were like, don't worry, be happy guys, right? Like that, that was their philosophy of life. If God exists, he's not interfering in our lives, right? He, they were just kind of modern day materialists and, and hedonists. They were just looking for pleasure in the moment. The Stoic philosophers, those guys were followers of a guy named Zeno. Now, these were kind of early New Agers, right? Everything in the universe is God. And so what it led to was pride and, and, and self-sufficiency in their lives. I'm the master of my own fate. And so what happens is these philosophers, right? They're, they're looking at Paul and what he's sharing and they consider it just babbling. And they're like, your ideas, right? They don't measure up to our ideas. Your views aren't as educated as our views. But Paul simply keeps talking to them about Jesus and the resurrection. Let's talk about Jesus for a few minutes, right? Jesus is the derivative of an Old Testament um, name for Joshua, which literally means Yahweh God saves, right? That's, that's what Jesus means. Now Christ, and by the way, that wasn't his last name, right? Some of you are like, oh, I didn't know that. I thought it was like Mr. Jesus Christ, right? That's not his last name. Uh, Christ actually means anointed of God. So you put those together and he is the anointed one of God who came to save God's people. That's who Jesus is. Now he was born roughly 2000 years ago, right? And, and it was in a, a dumpy, rural kind of hick town. Now, if, if Pastor Mike was here, you could cue the Fuquay joke at this point, but I'm not gonna go there, right? I, I'm, not, I'm not doing that. But, but, but I, I think these are the kind of dudes, right? That, that they had their El Caminos parked on their front lawns and they thought wrestling was real and they liked women who chew tobacco. And, and if that's you, no offense, right? No, or your mom, no offense to her either, right? But, but these are the kind of people that it was. And so here's Mary, right? His mom, she, she conceived him when she was an unmarried teenager, when God placed a child inside of her. That doesn't happen every day. He was adopted by a blue collar guy named Joseph. That like my grandfather, Jesus' daddy swung a, a hammer for a living. Jesus' life up until about the age of 30, right? He lived in relative obscurity. We don't have a lot of information about Jesus. As far as we can tell, he had two brothers, James and Jude, who wrote two of the books in the, in the New Testament. He went to school, 
did things that, that normal kids would do except for the fact that he was perfect, which I'm sure didn't annoy his brothers at all, right? The James and Jude bought their lunch at Chick-fil-A. Jesus turned a nugget into a combo meal, right? That's just how, that's just how, he, how he rolled. And, and so Jesus probably went to work as a carpenter with his dad. He would get up in the morning, a, a normal working guy, put on his work belt and, and, and grab his lunchbox, and he was off to work until about the age of 30. At that point, his public ministry kicked in and we see that Jesus began preaching and teaching and healing and performing miracles. You know, the kind of stuff that, that God does. He ultimately was put to death because of that ministry, because he continually said and showed everywhere that he went that he was God. See, his resume, incredibly simple. He was never married, never had kids, didn't run for political office, never ran a large company. He, he never binge watched Netflix. He never traveled more than a few hundred miles from his house. So he never went to a big city, never went to college. And yet Jesus is the most extraordinary, the most loved and hated, the most widely considered person in all human history. There are more songs sung to him more paintings painted about him, more books written about him than anyone else who has ever lived in the history of the world. We even break history around his life, right? We have BC before Christ and we have AD, Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. Our calendar rotates around Jesus. And today there's a few billion people on this planet that worship Jesus as God. But Paul warned us in 2 Corinthians 11, he said that there would be a lot of different perspectives about Jesus. There'd be a lot of different opinions. There would be false Christ. There would be false beliefs. And what Paul said has actually come true. But even today, right, Jesus is still just as hot as ever. Jesus is part of pop culture. Just a few years ago, Kanye West sang a, a, wrote a, a popular song called Jesus Walks. In fact, people are still singing about Jesus that aren't necessarily following him. You see the award ceremonies regularly where I like to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And you're like, really? I'm not sure, but okay, I, I'm, not, I'm not gonna judge. Jesus shows up regularly on, on television. He's been on everything from The Simpsons to the token Christian on The Bachelor, right? He's a part of comedians' sets all the time. One of my favorite old-time shows, Dog the Bounty Hunter, right? Do you, do you remember Dog with the, with the mullet? His family would gather together and, and before they went out and capture individuals who had been uh, evading the law and they would pray together to, to Jesus. They, Jesus, let us capture this fugitive that is jump bond. Jesus, help us to mace him and to cuff him, smoke a cigarette with him and then tell him that Jesus loves him, right? That, that was their prayer. I prayed that prayer before walking out on stage. It's an incredible prayer, right? Like that's how they lived. Maybe, uh, maybe some of you, uh, maybe you've, you remember the cultural thing. Remember the fad of, of Jesus is my homeboy, the t-shirt? Some of you just leaned over. You're like, yeah, I was gonna get one of those, but I just didn't have enough money. Uh, whatever, right? Just, if that makes you feel good, that's, that's fine. Hundreds of movies written about Jesus from the Da Vinci Code to the Passion of the Christ. Probably the weirdest one was a, a Canadian Kung Fu horror movie named Jesus Christ Vampire Hunter. I, I don't recommend it um, at all to any, anybody. Uh, you all remember Talladega Nights, right? The legend of Ricky Bobby who, who constantly, repeatedly prays to eight pounds, six ounce baby Jesus in his golden fleece diaper, right? It's all out there. There's a 110 foot tall, 750 pound hot air balloon with Jesus on it, right? 
There's also a, a monster truck, a Jesus monster truck for rednecks and painted on the side of it, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave us monster trucks, right? I, I don't think they quoted the Bible right on that one, but, that, but that's, what was, that's what was there. We opened our service by singing a Beatles song. Do you remember when John Lennon said that we're bigger than Jesus now? And then he died and he saw Jesus and Jesus said, who's bigger now, John, right? Like, I, this is my opinion, maybe not, I don't know, but, but right? It's because we've all been told at some point or we've heard the story that, that all religions basically believe the same thing. But that's not true about Jesus. See, if you were to ask a Jehovah's Witness what they believed about Jesus, they would see that, say that Jesus was a, a created being. In fact, they would say that he's the archangel Michael. If you asked a Mormon, they would say he's not eternal God. In fact, he's just a polygamous man who was the half-brother of Lucifer, just one of, of many gods. If you asked a Unitarian Universalist, they would say that Jesus is the reincarnation of Mr. Rogers, just a really nice guy saying really nice things, right? That's what they would say. A New Ager would say that it's just a state of consciousness, something that we can all aspire to be. If you asked a Scientologist, who is Jesus? They would say he is an implant forced upon the Thetan about a million years ago. Some of you are wondering, Donnie, Donnie could, you, could you explain that to me? No, I, I can't, right? Because <laughs> I've never done drugs. And so I don't even know, I don't know how to, I don't know where that even came from. The craziest probably was a Canadian nudist arsonist cult. And they decided that Jesus Christ was their code word for them to get high on hallucinogenic mushrooms, get naked and set things on fire. That's my people, right? I'm so proud of, of that. But here, here's the point of this. There's a lot of misconceptions out there about who Jesus really is, but God answered the question for us. In 1 John 4, 9, it says this, God showed us how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Jesus is God. He became human like us, giving up his rights as God so that he could make the ultimate sacrifice and give his life for ours. Because you earned it? No, absolutely not. Simply because he loves us. In fact, whether you choose to love him or not doesn't matter because God loves you. And Jesus gave his life so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be reunited in your relationship with God. That doesn't sound very narrow to me. Verse 19, then they took him and they brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting. You're bringing some, some strange ideas to our ears and we would like to know what they really mean. And all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. So you didn't realize it, but they had CNN and Fox News all the way back then, right? Just a, a bunch of people sitting around talking about things that they thought or, or believed. And, and in fact, this picture says that they really didn't do anything about it. They just sat around philosophizing about things. And I think what we can see in this is that people are searching. You see, religion is humanity's attempt to reach God. But Christianity is God's attempt to reach humanity. Verse 22, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Oropagus and he said, people of Athens, 
I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. See, Paul strategically is walking around the city before he went in to speak to them. And Paul used their culture to introduce them to Jesus. See, we don't need to be afraid of our culture and we don't need to necessarily fight our culture. Instead, we should look for ways to use it to introduce people to Jesus. He chose a starting point to be a place that they could agree upon instead of trying to argue a bunch of differences. The Athenians, they had built this idol to an unknown God. And they did it because they were afraid. They were afraid they were either gonna miss some of God's blessings or they were afraid that, that maybe they were gonna receive some kind of punishment. And so that way they had all of their bases covered. Well, we didn't know God, but we had this idol out here to worship you. We just didn't know your name. Archaeologists have found many altars with that inscription to the unknown God on it in Greece. See, Paul's opening statement was all about this unknown God. He said, let me tell you about him. Let me tell you about this incredible God that loves you. Paul wasn't approving of this God. He was simply using it as a way to connect with them and to tell them about Jesus. Verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. He says, guys, God made everything. You see the sun up in the sky? Yeah, this is the God that made it. You see that tree over there? It's the God who made that. The ocean that's roaring over there? Yeah, that, that's the same God. Gravity that keeps us on the ground? Yeah, he, he made that too. He is real and you can see it. It is evidenced and proved by everything around us in creation. He wasn't made by human hands. He doesn't hang out in a man-made temple. He's not small. He wasn't created. He isn't limited. He isn't man-made. In fact, he is the God that made man. See, narrowness exists when I struggle with the fact that I cannot create my own truth. God's provided everything that we need. We can't earn it. We don't need to because Jesus did it for us. So the question becomes, why is, is narrow bad? See, I don't think narrow is necessarily bad. You raise your kids in a narrow way. You wouldn't raise your kids by saying, hey, I want you just to, to try everything. In fact, right now, why don't you just go out in the street and, and, and play in traffic, right? It's the only way that you're gonna learn. I'm gonna give you some drugs. That, that way you're gonna learn how harmful they can be in your life. In fact, here's fire. Go discover something, right? Like, like we wouldn't do that. When you parent, you parent narrowly. Why? It's because you love your kids. See, narrow isn't always bad. It doesn't mean that it has to be absent of grace or love. In fact, it can be the exact opposite. Truth is narrow, but grace is wide. And that's how God loves us. I love this quote by Ravi Zacharias. He said, when I choose to reject God's provision to try to find my own answer, then I'm turning my back on the generosity of God to everyone. And I'm wanting to become narrow in my own choices. Verse 26, 
From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land. Mike talked about this in week one, right? The, the bigness, the greatness of God. He talked about it last week too. That everything that God created in the beginning of Genesis, at the end of each day, he said, it is good. God created the nations and our time in history. He created how long and determined how long we will be here and where we will live. Why did God do that? Well, Paul answers it in verse 27. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us. See, that's the why. It's not that it's narrow. God's love is wide open. In fact, it's, it's this wide open through the death of his son, Jesus. See, notice the, the perhaps in, the, in this last verse. I wanna make sure that we're real clear on this. This isn't reach out for him and, and perhaps you'll find him. The perhaps comes first. It's actually our choice. Perhaps you'll choose to seek him. Perhaps you'll make the decision to reach out for Jesus. And if you do, you will find him because he is never more than an arm's length away reaching out for you. Are Christians narrow-minded when they say that Jesus is the only way to heaven? See, I, I would agree with that maybe, that we would be narrow-minded if there were lots of paths to God and we were saying that ours is the best one, but, but that's not what we're saying. What we're saying is that the matter of truth is that someone had to pay the price for our wrongdoing that keeps us away from God, that separated us from God, that broke our relationship with God. And Jesus did that for you and for me. In Hebrews 9, it says that it is only through the shedding of blood that we can have forgiveness of sin. And so let me give you two action items. If you're here today and you would say, Donnie, I, I don't know that I'm a Christian. Uh, maybe I'm skeptical, but I got a bunch of questions. I'm still not sure. Or maybe you're seeking. You're like, I, I don't know. I, maybe I'm, I'm kind of close. Or maybe you're wanting. You're like, I, I want to have this relationship with God. And let me just say this to you. It's as simple as this. You seek and you reach out and you will find Jesus. In Acts chapter 10, Peter said this. I, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. It's not narrow. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is the message of the good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. He is the one all the prophets testified about, saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. Let's pretend just for a second, right? That there are two country clubs or, or fraternities or sororities, whatever you connect with best. And the first one admits only people that have earned their membership. To get in, you've got to obtain some kind of either superior wisdom or you've got to fulfill a detailed checklist of things or you've got to fulfill a bunch of spiritual requirements. We know that despite the best efforts of a lot of people, there will be a lot of people that just won't be good enough. They just won't be able to earn it. They just won't be able to get in and they'll be excluded. See, that's what religion teaches, that we have to work our way to God. But imagine there's a second one that says that anyone that wants in can come in because Jesus has already paid the membership fee. Doesn't matter how rich or how poor you are. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. Even Canadians are accepted, right? Everyone is welcome into this. Entry isn't based on your qualifications. It's only based on accepting Jesus' invitation. Romans 10 says this, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Christianity, it's not narrow. In fact, it is the most exclusive, inclusive thing, sorry, inclusive thing in the world because God has opened up the door to everyone. Now, if you're here today and and you would say that, that you would describe yourself as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, then let me just say this as your action step. You should be greatly distressed. Not because we're wondering or we're not sure about who Jesus is, but because there are people in our lives that we know don't know him. Mike shared this in week one. If you had a disease and someone provided a cure for you, and then you knew that there was someone else in your life, someone you cared about that had that same disease, you you wouldn't hold the cure back. You would share that with them. As Paul walked around the city of Athens, he was greatly distressed. As Jesus overlooked the city of Jerusalem, he wept for them. How much do you care about the people around you? See, Christianity isn't too narrow. Jesus paid the price for our sins so that we could come back to God. It is completely free and it is open to everyone. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? God, we just thank you. Thank you for that incredible love. Father, maybe today for the very first time, there's someone that is here at one of our campuses that's saying, I want that. God, I want that relationship with you. I'm so tired of trying to find it on my own. I'm so tired of, of, of wondering or hoping. I'm so tired of living the, the, the nothing way and, and just hoping that it'll work out in the end. God, I'm so, maybe for some of us, I'm so tired of, of, of just trying to earn it myself, trying to do it my way. Jesus, I believe in you. And if that's where you are today, that you wanna start that relationship with God, you wanna accept this incredible free gift of God's grace and his love, it's very simple. There's no magical prayer. It's just in the quiet of your heart. You say, God, thank you for loving me. Jesus, thank you that through your death and through your resurrection, that I can be forgiven of my sin and set free. Jesus, I put my faith in you. I surrender my life to you. I wanna follow you with the rest of my life. And if you prayed that prayer just in the quiet of your heart, it is the greatest decision you will ever make in your life. God, we thank you so much. And I pray that that God, you will help us to live in a way that will lead others to ask questions. Father, I pray that you give us a burden to want to share willingly the hope that we have in you, Jesus. I pray that our church will be a community of people that are are so attractive, so, so loving, so compassionate, that the world cannot ignore it. Father, I pray that you will help people to see you, Jesus, in and through us and recognize us as being the most welcoming, the most loving, the most inclusive people that they have ever known. God, thank you for your perfect love. We didn't deserve it, but we needed it. And we're so grateful for it. It's in your name we pray, amen.